Welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. Understanding this gospel, series 2, part 12. We wrapped up last week that the power of God, or the gospel, is a person. And we asked the question, how is the gospel the power of God? That's what we ended, right? How is the gospel the power of God? And then I answered and said, by his righteousness. So we're going to start dealing with the righteousness of the gospel. The righteousness of the gospel. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek, 17. For in it, in what? What is it? The power or the gospel, right? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Everyone who believes for in it, that is in the gospel, which is the power. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, not from law to faith, not from works to faith. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Pay attention to that as we proceed. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So instantly we see that the gospel is the power of God because in the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed. In the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed. That is why the gospel is powerful unto salvation. Because it reveals God's righteousness. Are you here? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, first Jew, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed or is the power of God unto salvation because the gospel reveals the righteousness of God from faith to faith. Does that make sense? The gospel is powerful in that it reveals God's righteousness. Are you here? Yes, the revelation of the gospel or the revelation of God's righteousness is what gives the gospel its ability. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Now all we have discussed about is about the can ability of God, the power of God, the dunamine of God, the ability of God. All of that is as measured by the degree to which the gospel reveals God's righteousness. Make sense? Salvation for sin. Salvation apart from sin. The redemption of our souls. The redemption of our bodies, which equals to incorrupted bodies, glorified bodies, immortal bodies, eternal life, the kingdom of God restored on earth as it is in heaven. 
God's power to bring all of this to pass. God's power to save us to the uttermost. Is God's power to save us to the end. Telos. God's ability is as measured by how much it reveals His righteousness. Because in the absence of God, the end of the gospel cannot be achieved. In the absence of the righteousness of God, the end of the gospel cannot be achieved. In other words, anything that we have hope of, both now and to come, is as sponsored by God's righteousness. It is because God is righteous that you can be saved. It's because God is righteous that you are being saved. It's because God is righteous that you will be saved. It is because God is righteous that he is powerful to save. Because the gospel reveals the righteousness of God from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And I'm going to ignore that until we get to the next wherever part of the series I get to deal with that line that appears four times in the Old Testament. The just shall live by faith. And we'll explore whether it's talking about life on the earth or not or more. When he said the just shall live by faith, what do you mean? The just shall acquire a car by faith? The just shall have a child by faith? Or the just shall live? L-I-V-E. By faith. The just Because it's the unbeliever that has faith for salvation. At the point you believe the gospel, you were an unbeliever. That's why you now became a believer. So faith that was imputed to you to believe was imputed to you as what? An unbeliever. To get you to become a believer. So who receives faith for salvation? The unbeliever or the unjust. But this line says, the just shall live by faith. The believer shall live by faith. The believer will receive life by faith. But the believer has life. From death to life. But we're talking about righteousness from faith to faith. Not from works to faith, not from law to faith, not from death to life, but from faith to faith. From this realm of the believer's faith, from this current reality of the believer's faith, to the coming reality of the believer's faith. From faith to faith. Not, not levels of faith. There's, there's some faith you can have. Mm. There's no such thing in scripture as levels of faith. For the New Testament believer. Mustard seed faith, Old Testament believer. Because they had to believe in shadows. At different dimensions of those shadows. And types. Does that make sense? But the New Testament does not talk post-cross. Does not talk about faith in measures. New Testament faith is not talked about in measures. You have more faith. How more, you, you have the gift of faith. First Corinthians 12. Or you don't have it. You are saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Or you are not saved. There's no degrees of faith. For the New Testament believer. So faith to faith. Has to do with transition from life to life. 
Does that make sense? From this life to the coming life. Does that make sense? Just as glory to glory, 2 Corinthians 3, signified transitioning from the law to grace. Not, again, not degrees of glory. Does that make sense? (laughs) The just shall live by faith. One of those four renditions actually says the just shall live by his faith. Capital H. So the gospel is powerful because it reveals God's righteousness. Everything we have, everything we are hoping for, is sponsored by God's righteousness. It's because God is righteous that you have. It's because God is righteous that you will have. So it means, again, we have to pay attention closely to what actually is the righteousness of God that gives the gospel power. Are you here? In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Revealed is the word apocalypto. Apocalypto means to uncover, to bring to light, or to make plain what is immaterial or invisible. To make plain or to give tangibility to what is otherwise immaterial or invisible. To reveal what is hidden. That's the word apocalypto. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is made plain. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is uncovered. Is fleshed out, if you may. Right? Is brought to light. Or in it, or by it, the gospel, the righteousness of God can be appreciated. You get it? So the gospel is powerful because it shows God's righteousness. Can we say that together? The gospel is powerful because it shows God's righteousness. Mm-hmm. That means outside the gospel, there's no avenue for the manifestation of God's righteousness. Outside the parameters of, of the gospel, mankind cannot appreciate how righteous God is or what that righteousness even means. Does that make sense? So the gospel is powerful in that it is the framework of God for manifesting his righteousness. Does that make sense? The frame that is the ability of God because it's the, it's the framework, it is the, the, the system, it is the nucleus within which the righteousness of God is manifested. Outside the gospel, you cannot appreciate, you cannot even recognize God's righteousness. You get it? If you cannot appreciate God's righteousness outside the gospel, what that leaves you with is his wrath. If the gospel is the framework within which God's righteousness is manifested, made plain, revealed, uncovered. It means outside the gospel, you cannot benefit from God's righteousness. If you cannot benefit from God's righteousness, it exists but doesn't come to you. What then comes to you in the absence of his righteousness is his wrath. Which itself is sponsored by his righteousness. But you get the part of God's righteousness that cannot benefit you. The power of the gospel to save you to the uttermost is on account of God's righteousness by which he deals with you. 
Therefore, outside the gospel, you cannot partake of that righteousness. If you cannot partake of that righteousness, you will be a casualty of that righteousness. God is righteous. It will either bless you or kill you. God is love. He will either save you or you are condemned. So the reason why God musters all his ability into the gospel for salvation is so that you must, you, you, you must benefit from my righteousness. God is powerful to do what he is doing apart from sin. After having done what he did for sin. God is able. The reason why all of God's ability is staked on the gospel. Is because that's how God. Hey, I'm going ahead of myself. That's how God protects you from himself. Only God is powerful enough to save you. From what? From who? It is true that man fell. Adam fell in the garden. Original sin. Inherited sin. We dealt with that in series one. Sin came about. Right? From his disobedience. Sin came about from his disobedience. And then death came about from that sin. Remember? Good. Death came about from that sin. And sin held us bound. Until Jesus came. Yes? Until Jesus died, until Jesus rose. Because all of them matter. <laughs> and then we believed and received the salvation from sin. Waiting for the salvation apart from sin. Right? Sin and death, therefore, are consequences as well as effects of venturing outside God's righteousness. In pursuit of a righteousness of our own. Sin and death are consequences, one. And two, effects. You know, consequences, what happens as a result? Effect, what? I won't say as a result, but what, what you are doing leads to. Does that make sense? Something happened. The consequence is sin and death. Does that make sense? Now, because of that thing that happened and you're now in sin and death, the result of, what you, of you, everything you do now is sin and death. Does that make sense? So sin and death are consequences of the dis disobedience or the fall of Adam. Does that make sense? Sin and death are also the result of everything you do now as fallen man outside God's righteousness. Does that make sense? Man falls and then excuses himself from God's righteousness or recuses himself from God's righteousness. And therefore, everything that man does outside of God's righteousness leads to sin and death. Does that make sense? You were here. You did something. It brought you here. Everything you do now here outside of God's righteousness leads you to, to the fall. Make sense? In favor, I wrote, of venturing outside God's righteousness and looking for your own. Because what happened in Genesis 3? You will, not, you will not die. You will be like God. And I told you a few weeks ago 
That was Satan selling us the narrative of do something small. Works. You can't just be there and just believe that God has said you you are you will die. So you just be here. No, you have to do something. You have to shine your eyes. Do something. Help yourself. This God does not want you to be like him. That's why he said you should not eat this thing. But once you can, can eat, once you do something, you will receive what God is trying to keep away from you. What was that? Works. Or a terrible attempt at self-righteousness. Romans 10 and 3. Romans 10 and 3. You see that. Romans 10 and 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Ignorance is actually in the Greek there is um, uh, agonos. And it actually refers to sometimes being willingly refusing something. It doesn't just necessarily mean that they did not know. No, that's not the word to use for ignorance. It means like you willfully refused, rejected, walked away from it. Does that make sense? Ignore, that's the right word. So you know. Does that make sense? Not ignorance as in the lack of knowledge. But this is you seeing that this is what it is and saying I don't want. Does that make sense? Not ignorance as in they not knowing God's righteousness. But they not acknowledging or receiving God's righteousness. Seeking to establish their own righteousness. We know you are righteous, yes, we know, but say we can try and generate righteousness ourselves. So you are telling us that we cannot do something to be righteous. We have to use your righteousness. We don't want it. And that was what the, the, the enemy led Adam to do in the garden. To ignore God's standing of righteousness and decide to do something to attain what can only be attained by God's righteousness. Are we here? Because God created man in his image. That means man was not supposed to be seeking for righteousness or seeking for approval or seeking for acceptance. I mean, God used to come down. Not, not God used to answer your prayer when you go up to heaven. God will come down and fellowship with his creation. What other acceptance? What other acceptance are you looking for? God is looking for you, not you looking for God. Even when you fail, God says, where are you? He still came to look for you even when you fell. Where are you? So sin and death are as a result of excusing yourself from God's righteousness. From the framework in which you can enjoy God's nature. God's father nature. God's lover nature. God's savior nature. You excuse yourself from it by any attempt you make to generate righteousness for yourself. So everything that we, lo- we lost, the kingdom, citizenship, losing the earth, which is what was given to us, yes. not heaven, yes. losing eternal life because we entered, we became subject to natural death and eternal death. Yes. Makes sense? Yes. Which we had fallen into, but it was not God's intention to leave us there. Yes. That's why he blocked access to the tree of life. So you will not eat it in that fallen state and remain eternally lost. Make sense? Okay. 
all of that, losing the nature of God, the image of God in which we were created, tampering with all of that, all of that equals to giving up our righteousness in God. Because all these things that we had, we had them in consistency with God's righteousness nature, which we were partakers of. God's righteousness is God's nature. Does that make sense? That nature of God is what causes him to be everything he is. God's love flows out of his righteousness. God's justice flows out of his righteousness. God's grace flows out of his righteousness. God's mercy flows out of his righteousness. God's judgment flows out of his righteousness. God's magnanimity, God's benevolence, God's generosity flows out of his nature. It is your nature that informs everything you are and do. Does that make sense? So God is righteous who, who loves God is righteous who forgives. God is righteous who creates. God is righteous who preserves. God is everything he is and does because he is righteous as a nature. Are you following me now? Righteousness is not as it were an attribute of God. It is the nature of God. If God is God, he's God because he's righteous. Does that make sense? If you can have eternal life, it's because God is righteous. If you can enjoy mercy, it's because God is righteous. So if you can enjoy dominion in the earth as it is in heaven, it's because God is righteous. Because it is in God's nature to give you the good things of the kingdom. And that nature is what? Righteousness. So when you fall, you excuse yourself from the things that are governed by his nature. And so because these things are sustained by his nature, you lose them. Because you cannot keep the earth outside of God's nature are you here you cannot continue to enjoy dominion in the earth outside God's nature what guaranteed you the earth as your inheritance is God's righteousness because that's his nature it's out of his nature that he says you can have the earth don't have dominion multiply replenish subdue are you here? It is because of his righteous nature that he gives you eternal life. Or he created you in the garden as man that should not die. Because death only came about by sin. Punctuating the flow of God's righteousness. Are you here now? So how did you have eternal life? By God's righteousness. How did you have the ability to be representations of God in the earth by God's righteousness. All of those things, everything God does and is and plans and hopes and, and is fed by his righteousness. So to step out of his righteousness is to disconnect yourself from every good thing in God. Are you here? And that introduces, so unrighteousness really is self-righteousness. Unrighteousness is everything you do outside God's righteousness. And every time you step out of God's righteousness, it's because you are seeking to establish your own. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And once you have successfully established your own, it's filthy rags. Yes. Equals to unrighteousness. Your own attempt at being good equals to being bad. Does that make sense? Yes, Your own attempt at being good, even if you succeed at it, 
That's why apart from his righteousness, nobody can be justified. That's why I've said in righteousness consciousness that God has never used morality as a yardstick for justifying anybody. That's why we must be careful to not preach the gospel according to moralistic terms. You know, I used to be a bad boy. I used to be in the cult. But now the Lord changed my mind. Are you in the cult? You don't have Jesus. Yeah, we cannot preach a moralistic gospel. Because then how would this gospel be relevant to someone who is morally upright? How is this going? Because all you are telling somebody who sits there forming Pharisee and Sadducee is that, mm, like the publican in the parable Jesus told. The publican is like, ah, okay, more calls. And that doesn't apply to me. Oh, I used to smoke. I don't smoke. I used to chase girls. I never even, I'm, I'm celibate. I used to, I don't drink. I don't, I'm not a glutton. I don't watch pornography. I, I don't keep bad friends. I don't cuss. I don't use swear words. I'm all right. I don't need your Jesus. I give alms to the poor. I'm good natured. I don't lose my temper. I don't need your Jesus. Because Jesus just comes from really bad people. And I'm, I'm not a bad person. Everybody around me will testify that I'm a good person. What then happens to your gospel of bad to good? What happens to your gospel of bad to good? Because see, not everybody saved was an ex-something. Not everybody was an ex-something. Not everybody was a bad boy, a bad girl, a criminal. So if you reduce the gospel to moralistic terms, we're in trouble. God has never used morality as a yardstick for measuring righteousness. Because even if you are successfully good, you are bad. In fact, the gooder you are, the badder you are. <laughs> it calls to unrighteousness. Because God will not be moved by anything man does. God will never be moved by anything man does. If God starts to be moved by anything man does, God is not righteous. <laughs> God's nature becomes contingent on human behavior. That makes God lose every sense of trustworthiness. If God is nice because you are nice, he's upset because you messed up, then God cannot claim to have a nature that is not influenced by human activity. Is anybody getting this? Are you sure? If God is angry because I am angry, it means God's nature is influenceable. It means all of us as human beings are influencers. All we need to do is post one post on the Instagram of our lives and God will be influenced. God will now come to your post and click angry. You know that angry emoji? Or crying. Or care. Or like. Or love. Or even worse, you will not even press anything. We just look at it like he didn't see it. If that's the case, then God doesn't have a nature. His nature is influenced and sponsored by human activity. And that makes God, makes God lose every sense of credibility. But you see, God is credible because God is righteous. That means God's nature is set in stone. 
Nothing a man does changes or influences it. You are either in his nature or you are not in his nature. But you cannot change his nature. That is why even good deeds do not impress him. Are you getting it now? Because his nature is his nature. So you being good, that's your problem. Doesn't impress him. You being bad, doesn't affect him. Doesn't depress him. God is bound by only one thing. His nature. A.K.A. Righteousness. Are you getting this? His righteous nature. So we all lost that. We lost all we lost because we stepped outside his righteousness. According to Romans 10.3. When Adam fell, he fell, he stepped out of the covering or the framework of God's righteousness. Does that make sense? And so that became God's problem with us. Our unrighteousness or self-righteousness Versus God's righteousness. And so I said, how, how are you saved? What are you saved from? When you hear we re- we're reconciled to God, what, what comes to your mind? Beef being day. What was the beef? Our unrighteousness or self-righteousness versus his righteousness. God has never seen Satan as his enemy. Paul says, be sober, be vigilant, right? Your adversary, the devil. Not God's adversary. St. Paul tells the Roman church, when you were enemies of God. So you are joining fight with God and Satan that has never existed before. They have never fought. The beef was God and you. Brother, that's a lot. Romans 5.10. Please, look at it carefully, I beseech you. For if when we were what? Of who? Eh? Because it's not so difficult. Why would we be reconciled to God if we're not first fighting? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. (laughs) Something now went wrong. We're now disconciled. (laughs) You understand? We were reconciled. Then we're now disconciled so that we can now be reconciled. Uh-huh. Does it not make sense? Reconciliation starts first from conciliation to disconciliation. You cannot reconnect something that was not first connected. That's the way it works. So, why don't we sit down and think about what being reconciled to God means? Miss, there was a problem, there was beef. We became enemies. Why and how did we become enemies? We broke the terms of agreement. We stepped outside the realm of his righteousness. And therefore, all the things that should have been added to us. Hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And these things shall be. So man... Subdue the earth, replenish, what was those things? Additions to man for being in God's righteousness. So you couldn't have lost God's righteousness and retained the benefits of the righteousness. Do you get it? You couldn't have broken his righteousness and still live forever. 
and still have eternal life and still enjoy the earth as heaven. All of that. No, all of those are as governed by God's righteousness. That's what makes him powerful. So no, the fight has never been God and Satan. Jesus introduces Satan as a sinner from the beginning. A murderer from the beginning. It has been Satan's nature. God created Satan a sinner. He didn't start off and become something else that he was not designed to be. He was a sinner from the beginning. He was a murderer from the beginning. So it's not like God and Satan started fighting all of a sudden when God, Satan now changed. And became what God didn't create him to be. That highlights a fundamental problem with God's creative control. Hmm? Creative control is a powerful thing. It's like a director shooting a film and then everyone is acting whatever they like. They are changing the lines. We rehearse these lines. You change the lines. You, you say whatever you want to say. We want the, you are creating an alternate ending for the movie. Yeah. We're saying jump here at this scene. When you hear power, you should jump. Instead, you feel like you want to fly. What, when that starts to happen, the director has lost creative control of the project. If people start becoming whatever they like to become, in spite of how God created them, God has lost creative control. Yes, sir. Not my God. He's always in control. So this whole religious warfare between God and is nonsense. Not only are they not contenders, it doesn't exist. They are fighting and then Satan will be coming to the presence of God every time. The fight, ma, was you and God. Because, hear me carefully, the only person that could fight God was the person created in his image. That's what gave you the impetus to see God's choice for you. And choose your own. It's the God nature in you that gives you the ability to choose against God. Satan cannot make you choose against God. He doesn't have the nature of God, nor does he know it. But because you are created in his image, after his likeness, is why you can say, God, I know you said, but... See, that's a problem now. So you now chose. As you chose, you and God became enemies. Because God is walking his righteousness this way. You are walking your righteousness that way. And now wanting God to owe you. And supply to you benefits of his righteousness inside your own righteousness. Oh, but God loves you. Not as his enemy. As his son. Inside his enemy. As his son. Trapped inside his enemy. That's why he didn't kill you. Because inside your rebellion is his nature. So now we have a problem now. We have successfully become God's enemies. Satan didn't come and carry a fruit and push into Adam's mouth. He just sold them an idea, sat back, waited for them to choose to act on the idea, then cashed out. So really, I told you a few weeks ago, Satan did not steal anything from God. Man 
legally cancelled one contract and entered another. Because again, if Satan stole it from God, again, God is very stupid. Not just is he weak, he's senseless, he's, he's retarded. How can another creature steal what is in your image from you or under your face? When ordinary bear and, and, and lion could not steal something from David. Who then stands on the strength of that authority and says, the Lord is my shepherd. Because as nobody could steal this sheep from me, the Lord being my shepherd means no bear, no lion can steal me from him. Jesus then comes on the strength of that affirmation in John 10 and says no one can snatch them. You see the flow? Don't come and steal from God under his word. Where was God when you stole? So no, you signed the dotted line. Give Satan control. Became God's enemy the moment you became friends. But God and Satan, they don't have a problem. That's the problem now. We and God, enemies. And God's righteousness is such that um, as you become his enemy now, you see this. His righteousness will follow you. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God. The what? The wrath. I'll explain to you what it means shortly. But that wrath of God is released from heaven. Verse 18. Against all what? Are you following me so far? It's revealed against all unrighteousness. Not against men. God's wrath is against the unrighteousness of men. Go on in that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So again, they know the truth. But that's like they ignored. This one, they're suppressing it. Hide the cover it. Let's, let, let's not even look like the truth it can even be seen. And how are they suppressing it? In unrighteousness. What is therefore accruable to them? God's wrath. So now, we're enemies of God. Because we try to find righteousness outside him. God's wrath now is against our unrighteousness. So now we need to be saved. Right? We need to be saved. We need salvation. From what? From whom? You can't at this point say Satan. Are you following me now? You can't reasonably, having followed the narrative, get to this point and say, it's from Satan we are being saved. Being saved from Satan. You have been saved from this world. You have been saved. Who did Jesus pay the price of our sin to? To Satan, to sin. I put here, by the way, to, to say you are paying to sin is to say you are paying to Satan. To say you are paying to Satan is to say you are paying to sin. You can't say God paid the, the price for our sin to sin. Jesus paid the price for our sin to sin. Because it was sin that held us bound. If sin... Held you bound that God had to pay sin. Sin is more powerful than God. So here's what happened. God couldn't conquer sin. They had to, first of all, agree, negotiate on the ransom. So now we have to negotiate with sin. They have to pay me to let them go. 
you don't pay me God, I'm going to let them go. Sin and Satan are the same. First John 3, 8. Same difference. You see that all. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned when? Wow. The devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, son of man was manifest. That he might destroy the works of the devil. John 8, 44. John 8, 44. Ye are of your father the devil. <laughs> you are of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. Why? He was a murderer. And does not stand in truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks a lie from his own resources. For he's a liar and the father of it. One translation says he speaks a lie like it's his nature. TPT. Let me see. Let me see TPT. 44. He never stood to the truth, for he's full of nothing but lies. Lying is his native tongue. Let's see the message or NLT. You're from your father, the devil, and all you want to do is please him. He was a killer from the very start. He couldn't stand the truth because there wasn't a shred of truth in him. When the liar speaks, he makes it up out of his lying nature and fills the world with lies. NLT. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. Yeah, go on. Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. As always, he a liar. Never told the truth. Never had it in him to tell the truth. So some people, even New Testament preachers, have adopted this position that Jesus paid, God paid the price to sin or to Satan. It's a very dangerous position to take. So we're not saved from Satan. What were we saved from? Let's go back to UTG series one. Jesus became our high priest. Remember? Paid the penalty. Became our high priest and our perfect sacrifice. Remember? Hebrews 5, 5 to 10. Hebrews 6, 19 to 20. Our high priest forever. He entered the holy place by the blood, obtained eternal redemption, cleansed our conscience from dead works, mediated a new covenant. See all the places or the place where all these things are taking place. Holy place. Not hell. Not lake of fire. And the price has been paid. See the location for the price being paid. Holy place. Right? Hebrews 9.11. Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves. Look at this next line. But with his own blood, he entered the most holy place. No, hold on. Where did he enter? Where did this transaction take place? Who inhabits the most holy place. So how does he pay to Satan? Or sin? Same difference. The most holy place once and for all. Having obtained what kind of redemption? Very clear. Are you now saying what? No, scripture is clear. Sir. Next verse. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer. 
sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. Go on. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot? Come on. Offered himself without spot. To who? Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 15 and the last verse for this text. And for this reason, he's the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemptions of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. We were bought with a price. Huge price. 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 7 and 23. What was the price? His blood. What does his blood signify? His life. Are you following the teaching so far? Over the years. Blood is life. Leviticus 17, 10 to 14. Hebrews 13, 11 to 12. This is all in UTG series 1. Hebrews 2, 1, 2. Hebrews 9 and 12. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19. Jesus paid the price for our sins with his blood. Which is to say his life. And he paid it to God. Jesus is the price he paid. His blood is him. His sin's blood is life. His blood is his life, so his life is his blood. Jesus is the price he paid. We said in series one that this singular act of totalitarian sacrifice justified us who believe. Two, reconciled us to the Father. Three, made us righteous. Are you following this? So if the price was paid to God, which he was, we've seen that now, the price was paid to God. If the price was paid to God, then we were being saved from who? I didn't say what. I said, who are we saved from? By who? Through who? No, it's easy to understand so far that you were saved by God. Through God. But this one, I'm asking you, who were you saved from? Because this is not a fight you could have been able to win. You and God, enemy. Sir, you need to be saved. <laughs> do, do, do you understand that? Mm-hmm. See, you need salvation. You successfully made yourself an enemy of God. The only person that can advocate for you. The only person who all these things added to you are added to on the basis of his righteousness. You now became his enemy. And you needed salvation. But what's the problem? Who are we trying to save you from? Because your beef is not with Satan. Satan did not carry you anywhere you did not want to go. He didn't come and kidnap you. He sold you a proposition. You agreed. You signed. You followed him. Satan took you rightfully. God. God knows it. God respects it. But since you stepped outside of God's righteousness. He pitched you against his righteousness. Because his righteousness is either for you or against you. So now you needed to be saved. Both for sin and apart from sin. Because you see, stepping out of God's righteousness costs you everything in time and eternity. Because time and eternity are inside the remit of God's righteousness. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Step out of righteousness, you lose every benefit in time. And you lose eternal life to come as a hope. So either way, you are really screwed. Any way you look at it. Either way, you need to be saved. From the only person you cannot be saved from. I'm, I'm sorry, the devil is not that powerful, ma. It's not. <laughs> it's not. We're giving too much credit. Too much credit. We're giving too much credit. Satan, 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 devil, Lucifer, devil, So we're saved from God, from God's righteous wrath against our unrighteousness, which is to say our self righteousness. Romans 2 9. Let the journey begin. Go back to verse uh, 8, I think. And I need to pick where the sentence starts. Who rendered to each one according to his deeds? Uh huh. Seven. Eternal life to those who by patience, continuance, and doing good work seek for glory, honor, and immortality? Eight. But to those who are self seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey what? Unrighteousness. What is coming to them? Indignation and wrath. Go on. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Wrath. Ephesians 5, 3-8. Ephesians 5, 3-8. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God, the what? Of who? Comes upon the sons of disobedience. Before you start to scream, because you did fornication last week. Next verse. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness. So that wrath of God is not, it's not talking about you. You were once darkness, but now you are light. Not in darkness and in light. You were you. You were darkness. There's no in there. You were once you. You were darkness. Gongo. But now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, now walk as children of light and stop doing what darkness people are doing. That's his argument. He's not saying you are you are the one he's coming for in his wrath. But you used to do these things. Now you don't do them anymore. You're, you are now light. Why are you behaving like darkness? That's the argument. Verse 8. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness. Colossians 3, 5 to 7. Colossians 3, 5 to 7. Ay, 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 ay. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire... And covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. On the same words. But see now, disobedience in which you yourselves once. Somebody say once. Once walked when you lived in them. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you, he made alive. Somebody say me, he made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and 
since, see verse 2, in which you once, once walked according to the course of this world. See, that's why it's good news, because the wrath of God is not against us. That's why it's good news. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now walks in the sons of disobedience. That word again. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't stop there. Verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But it's like it keeps it in but. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's great news. Titus 3, verse 1 through to 7. I want you to understand this concept very well. Righteousness, unrighteousness, love, grace, mercy, and justice. Titus 3, 1 to 7. Somebody will have fresh respect for the love of God today. Fresh respect. Because God's love did not excuse your iniquity. God's love didn't just say, okay, well, yeah, it's all right. Just, it's, I'm not, not going to be bothered. Because the moment God did that, that same day, Satan will come. As normal. And this time around, God is on the stand. Satan will come and say, sir, you've lost, with all due respect, my Lord, you have lost your righteousness. He will come into the court of heaven and say, I call to the stand today, the most high. I call to the stand, the most high judge. According to your own charter. You guys, a master prosecutor. Satan. Diabolo, that's his name. When they name somebody, accuser. I think he's joking. So no, God's love is not some puppy loved, you know, oh, 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 yeah, I don't want to punish you. Just go and say no more. No, sir. God's love is absolute in his justice, absolute in his mercy, absolute in his righteousness, absolute in its identification of righteousness, unrighteousness, and dissolution. God's love. God's love. Titus 3, 1 to 7. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all hum humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, and deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly, through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Somebody say, such were you. Yeah. So if you commit fornication, let's, don't stay there. It's alien to you. 
Scripture keeps telling you, such were you. Your tagline was fornicator, not anymore. When you fornicate now, remind yourself, I am not fornicator. That is where grace is supplied to rise above fornication. That's spirit consciousness. That's righteousness consciousness. That's grace consciousness. Not sin consciousness. Do you understand that? Let's proceed. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 to 10. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9-10. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols, see that, to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus Christ who delivers us from the wrath to come. Who's wrath? First test 5, 9 and 10. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God did not appoint us to wrath. God did not appoint us to wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that whether we sleep or we wake, we should live together with him. Wrath or gay. O-R-G-E with an accent facing forward. Orge. Rough. So just before you think anger, emotional, blah, blah, blah. Orge. Opposition against disobedience. Like a magistrate who hands out a just sentence to a persistent non-repentant offender. Opposition against disobedience, like a magistrate who hands out a just sentence against a persistent, non-repentant offender. And this is swelling with, not suddenly, this rough. This is not sudden, like you do something, God gets angry. Or gay actually means to be teeming with opposition. To be T-E-E-M-I-N-G. To be swelling with opposition until you are full. Like a magistrate who is sitting down and is hearing all the charges and all the counts of evil that you have done. And he's just patient enough to hear the entire charge sheet read. And he's like, whoa, I've had enough of this. I'm going to give you the harshest sentence possible that is consistent with your crime. Does that make sense? It's not just a spontaneous act of anger, like emotional. Does that make sense? It's actually the justice of a judge that after, after hearing the facts of the case, considers the constitution and determines what's the harshest sentence that is consistent with your crime. So it's actually informed anger. The, the judge is drawing every legal precedent available. Does that make sense? What's the harshest punishment for this crime that is justifiable with the offense? Does that make sense? That's orge. Opposition against disobedience that swells or teams or comes to a height gets to a head are you here the good news of the gospel is that God rescued you from his wrath by himself you see why it is in the gospel that his power is revealed as in his righteousness the gospel is the power of God only God could do it that's why the gospel is the showcase of his power because in the gospel, his righteousness is revealed. So what makes it good news is that God rescued me from his wrath by himself. 
He rescued us from his righteous judgment or gay. Wrath. Don't think of wrath in terms of anger. Don't think of wrath in terms of English annoyance. Does that make sense? You can't accuse a judge who sentences a killer to death of being angry. So when you think rough, think rough in legal terms. Don't think rough in emotional or sensual terms. It's not in the equation. Are you following me now? Think rough in terms of justifiable justice. Not displaced justice. Justifiable just, justice that is well deserved. Does that make sense? That makes God's wrath an expression of his righteousness. God is not unrighteous to have wrath against unrighteousness. It is because he's righteous that he, is, he has wrath against unrighteousness. Otherwise, he will not be said to be righteous. If he condones unrighteousness, he's not righteous. So to be righteous, to be seen to be righteous, he must be diametrically opposed to unrighteousness. Which naturally warrants his justice. Does that make sense? The problem is trapped inside this person that is against God. is his image. So how do I satisfy my wrath? Without breaking my justice. How do I serve justice. And not lose you. And not compromise my justice. You appreciate salvation. My wrath is against unrighteousness. Against ungodliness. You are in that unrighteousness. So now you are my enemy. But you are my son first. So somewhere in this enemy. Is my son. Like a zombie you don't want to kill. Like a mutated vampire that you are you're hesitating. And you can tell this is not this person anymore, but but their eyes still look the same in the midst of this. And you're like, this my, my loved one is trapped in here. So you hesitate to pull the trigger. And God looks at you and he sees his loved one in there. And you deserve to be slammed. And he can't. Oh, he can, but he won't. But if he doesn't, he'll be seen to be unrighteous. Well, he's righteous. And if he compromises his righteousness to bring you into righteousness, he will corrupt the righteousness he's giving you. If he compromises his righteousness to bring you into righteousness, he will give you corrupted righteousness. He'll put himself in harm's way and inevitably put you in harm's way. So we're saved from the shackle of sin because sin and righteousness exist outside his realm of righteousness. God's wrath is a righteous judgment. When we're unrighteous, God's righteousness burned with wrath. So God himself had to rescue us from the wrath of God. So the gospel is the power of God unto salvation from the wrath of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation from the wrath of God. You were saved from the wrath of God. That's what makes the gospel so powerful. It was the only thing that could save you from God. Are you getting it? The gospel is the power of God and salvation to those that believe. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. 
the righteousness of God. That's what funnels his wrath against unrighteousness. And the only fix <laughs> was God. So this wrath is manifested in existence apart from God. God's wrath, God's judgment for unrighteousness is that he and, right and unrighteousness cannot dwell together in the same realm. Does that make sense? So again, he's not throwing you out. You, by excusing yourself from his righteousness, enter a realm of separation from him. That's why Jesus did not need to come condemning the world. He that did not believe was condemned already. Make sense? So it's not God meting out wrath as it were, as it is the absence of your being in under the canopy of his righteousness, exposing you to the harsh realities of life and eternity apart from God. Does that make sense? Outside the remit of his righteousness. Make sense? So God's wrath is manifested as what? Eternal separation from God or death. Like what happened in Genesis 3. Man fell. Man chose to go his way. God excused him from the garden. I mean, you've chosen your way. You've chosen where you want to be. So leave here. Are you following me now? Leave the garden. The garden is the realm of righteousness. You can't stay and expect to enjoy the benefits of righteousness when you have abdicated that righteousness. So now the place that was being fruitful and multiplying began to yield thorns and thistles. Are you following? Romans 5, 9. Much more then. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from whose wrath? We have seen that in many scriptures. Now we shall be saved from wrath through who? We'll be saved from his wrath through him. So this is God's power unto salvation. To save us from sin, which is the reason for and the effect of being outside his righteousness. And therefore, makes us subject to his wrath. But he saves us from that wrath. Saves our bodies until the salvation is complete. In other words, God, God guarantees that his wrath will never be against you. God gets in the way of God by satisfying the demands of God on your behalf. God gets in the way of God by satisfying God's demands on your behalf. Does that make sense? All this is happening while you have not the faintest clue. In that while we were yet sinners. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. I said earlier, the love of God is, is total. God's wrath is a function of his love. Because all you need to do to understand is stop thinking of love as emotional or sensual. And remember love consciousness, agapeo, God's preferences, not God's feelings. Now, in God's preference, in, and that calls into mind his what? Righteousness, his nature. In God's nature, in God's preference, in God, the way God wants to see you, he must deal with the thing that makes you his enemy. Because he loves you. Because he wants to commend his preferences toward you. So I wrote here, God's wrath is contained in his love. And then it is addressed by his love. 
God's wrath is contained in his love and it is addressed by his love. God is not angry in a vacuum emotionally. He's a just God. Are you here? Not anger in the English sense that people over the years or centuries have attributed to him. But he has justice. The love of God is full of wisdom, it's full of justice, it's full of truth. It's a love that upholds all the attributes of God. It doesn't cancel any of them out. God's love doesn't mean that he stops being just. Does that make sense? God's love for you doesn't mean he compromises his nature and begins to put up with you. God's love, on the contrary, ensures that God deals with what is standing in his way of putting up with you. Does that make sense? God's love ensures that that separation, that beef, is dealt with so we can be reconciled to him. God's love satisfies his wrath. Are you following me? So now that God is the only one that can save us from his wrath, his love kicks in. How does the love kick, kick in? For God so loved the world that he... So why is God giving? Because he's loving. Why is he loving? Because he has to deal with his wrath. Why does he have to deal with his wrath? Because he's righteous. You see the connection? This is love. His love gathers our unrighteousness, handles it with his righteousness, and addresses them both by the finished work of Jesus. God's love gathers your unrighteousness, gathers God's righteousness, sorts it out on the cross. So God satisfies God on your behalf and then just gives you the end result of the process. Most times that's why believers don't appreciate salvation. And that's why I'm taking time to teach it. Believers don't understand how much went down. You don't understand how much went down. You think God just blew away your sins. So we trivialize our salvation. And that's why sometimes you can be irresponsible because you don't appreciate the price that was paid. I don't know about you, but I'd be more comfortable knowing that it was Satan I was against. Be more comfortable knowing that the beef is me and Satan. But that the enemy was me and God. Because me and Satan, God can intervene. Me and principalities and powers, a lot of hosts can intervene. (laughs) Me and God. Enemies. Save me, please. Wait, wait. Save you who? Who Who should save you? God? Okay, I'll save you. Who should we save you from? God. All right, you have a problem. Because, yeah, you're right. No one can save you from me. No one can drink my wrath on your behalf. I guess I'm going to have to do this myself. Yes, sir. 
this, this problem can only be fixed by me. Because no man can get you out of this. You are in line for my wrath and my wrath is just because I am righteous. So I will either have to met out my justice on you or I can find a way to justify you. Met out my justice on you or find a way to justify you, which is to say, find a way to see you as though you didn't do what I'm about to kill you for. It's still me being just. I will either give you justice, which is you receiving the harshest of punishments, or I can give you justification such that I now put you in the position where I have not any justice to give you. The only way I can do this is to give you what you deserve or take away what you deserve so that I don't have to give you what you deserve. That's justice, justification. Same principle. Justice is I will punish you for what you deserve. Justification is I will remove what you did that makes you deserve my justice. Because the moment I can see you as if you didn't do it, my wrath cannot be against you. The only way I can see you though as though you didn't do it is to become everything you did wrong. Myself. Because you see, I cannot break my principle. I'm not going to give Satan an opportunity to accuse me. And no human being can appease me. So I'm going to have to come as man. Become all the things you did wrong. Then take my time and punish it. Because only me can get myself out of this. Because it's my problem. The problem here is my righteousness. My righteousness will not allow me compromise. My righteousness will not allow me. And in my righteousness, I love you. So how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? I'm not prepared to kill you in my righteousness. But you deserve to be killed. And my righteousness demands that you die. But trapped in this mutated person is my son. Is <laughs> the person I love. So only I can fix this problem. So if I'm not going to give you justice, I'm going to have to give it to me. Because only I can. So I'll come as a man, send my son, and I will lay upon him. Everything in you that I am supposed to punish. Everything in you that makes you a candidate for my wrath. I'll lay it on him. And because it is him, I will take my time and punish him. He will drink my wrath. See why he said that is called passed by me. The Lord saw the travails of his son and was satisfied. Pleased God. Because somebody 
must drink my wrath. Somebody must drink it. Somebody. Or else I cannot be said to be righteous and just. That's why I explained to you the difference between his grace and mercy. Somebody must drink this. Somebody must pay. And you see, you can't just pay for yourself. You have to pay the entire world for the entire time. I'm not doing this again. I don't want to even put myself in a position where I will now have another rough to give you. And let's do this again. I don't have the heart for this. So this has to be done so potently that it's one-off. No one born of Adam can do this. Bring another one. Bring another Adam uncorrupted. If I let this come from me, Adam, son of God. So Jesus, come. Come, son of God. You know the deal, right? I'm punishing the world in you. I can't break my justice. But I love them too much to punish them directly. They can't, they can't stand can't stand my wrong. can't stand my justice. So I'm going to have to deal with this myself. Because only I can. And once I do this, it means I've secured them in this life, faith, and in the life to come, to faith. So they can live in this earth as sons. Regeneration, new birth. And they can re-inherit the kingdom in the earth. In their glorified bodies as sons. It's something only I am able to do. So the next time you sing the wrath of God was satisfied. Think and thank. It's beautiful to know you're saved. It's helpful to know who and what you are saved from. Not just who saved you, not just how he saved you. Who are you saved from and why? So God, fix it. I wrote here, he demanded righteousness and we didn't have it. So the solution was for God to give us the righteousness he demands of us. Actually, if you go back to righteousness, consciousness, he more accurately puts, he became for us the righteousness that he demanded of us in the person of Jesus, his son. That's the good news. So the gospel is the power of God in that it reveals to us and then imputes to us God's righteousness, God's standard. So the gospel is the righteousness of God for us that he demanded of us. That we could not supply because no man can. Only the man could. That's why, and that's why it's only the obedience of Jesus that God is reckoning with. Romans 5. Our unrighteousness was brought about by one man. It's one man that led all of us in his loins out of God's righteousness. 
no matter how good we intended to be, it will not amount to anything good because our progenitor, our protos, led us out of the agreement and signed a deal with the devil. Now we're bringing another man and then his righteousness will be how I deal with everybody he gives birth to regardless of what they do. If in the first Adam nothing anyone did good could count because of my righteousness. In this last Adam nothing they do against even themselves will count because of my righteousness. So God is not faithful to you because you are not sinning. He's faithful to you because of his righteousness. In the same way that his wrath was against the unbeliever because of his righteousness. I said earlier, God's righteousness is not affected by human activity. No matter what kind of activity it is. We are not walking outside or we are not avoiding works of the flesh to maintain righteousness. Just like nothing good we did here could acquire righteousness. Make sense? So it's the sacrifice of Jesus. It's the obedience of Jesus. So he became for us righteousness. He became for us what God demanded of us. And the exchange was that he then took upon himself all that we deserved from God. So he took our justice. We received his justification. Because if you remember, they investigated and examined this lamb. And said, this lamb is flawless and faultless and blameless. This lamb is perfect. All the affirmations of the purity of this sacrifice were given to you. Justified. As they examined, as Pilate examined him and says, I find no fault in him. That affirmation was imputed to the believer so when the chief judge examines you he finds no fault in you on the other hand the person who actually had no fault all of a sudden in the switch that happened we see all the faults of all the world for all eternity upon him and straight away he drew God's justice to him away from us and Jesus dies with it resurrects without it a brand new man that cannot be judged or condemned again and your sins for which he paid the price cannot be seen anymore because he didn't rise with it because it was upon his mortal body he took your sins. That's not the body he rose with. He didn't rise with the body of sin. So forever and ever, sin cannot be imputed to you. Not just because you have God's righteousness, but because God is righteous. He cannot punish the same sin twice. 
It's one thing that you have righteousness of Jesus and all that, 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 that. But see, even without Jesus, hear me carefully. God is so righteous that if Jesus punished your sin and even died, justification is such that he cannot hold you again to what he punished Jesus for. He cannot. He can't see you guilty. Of what he saw Jesus as guilty of. That's justification. He then takes it a step further. And carries the righteousness of Jesus. And clothes you with it. Such that not only would you be seen as blameless. You now do no longer longer have the ability. To save. So God forecloses his wrath forever. So God not just was just towards you. God satisfied his wrath to the point where he will never have to have it again. Because once you are in sin, his wrath, in his righteousness, his wrath will kick in. So to allay his wrath, to satisfy his wrath forever, not only does he remove your sin and have it paid for, he removes your ability to be seen as a sinner so that you will never ever be in a position where his wrath is awakened. So God rids himself of his wrath by ridding himself of his ability to see your sin. Not only does he justify you by discharging and acquitting you, he changes your nature. So he never has to see you as somebody that can provoke wrath from him. Does that make sense? I repeat, not only does he deal with what you have done. He changes how he sees you. So that you will never be in the position to be in a place that makes him see you and have wrath. Not only am I dealing with what you did wrong. I'm also dealing with the fact that you will never be in the position to ever do me wrong again. I don't, want to, I don't want to deal with it. Yes, sir. Your ability to do wrong is dead. Yes. My ability to see you as wrong is dead. Yes. Why? I am righteous. righteous. And then now you have the kingdom. <laughs> now you have his righteousness. And then now these things. Because when you lost the kingdom and his righteousness, you lost these things. Now you have the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things. Are added to you. The righteousness of the gospel. So he gives us his nature, he gives us his acceptability. God ensures that you will never be in a place to be rejected anymore. He makes sure of it because he knows how much it costs for him to save us from himself. That's our righteousness. We are redeemed from his wrath. We will be redeemed from his wrath. The gospel is the ability of God to save us to the uttermost from his wrath. Because it or he, the gospel, reveals his righteousness and imputes it to us as only he can. You see, so it's looked at as a problem until you enjoy the solution. Because only God could get us out of this one. Only God could get us out of this one. That's why it calls into question his entire ability. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to salvation for them that believes because in it the righteousness of God is revealed, is uncovered, is made plain. By faith. To faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. God's righteousness was the problem. God's righteousness was the solution. And now we are reconciled to God. The beef is over. Not only are we not enemies of God anymore. We have lost the ability to become enemies ever again. God is not prepared to go down this path one more time. No, picture the logistics. It's not doing this again. So he ensured that this was once and for all time. So yeah, we're reconciled. But now that we're reconciled, can I help you? This child, nothing can separate you from my love. Yes, sir. You understand why he starts to say those things? Yes, nothing can snatch you out of my hands. Yes, He's not just saying it to assure you. He's also saying it, saying it to guarantee his, right, his own righteousness. His own righteous sanity. Yes, you're, you're, you're not putting me here again. You're not, so, so you, are, you felt like you had nature, you had free will, you can choose to follow Satan. You're not going anywhere now. Jonas, I left you in the garden. You know, you now decided to. Now, you're not, you're not going anywhere. Now I'm shutting this door myself. I'm not dealing with this heartache again. So that's what feeds our eternal security. You see why it's not about your performance? Honestly, it's not about you. Honestly, Honestly, it's not about you. It's about God's love, his nature, his righteousness, himself. So he starts telling you, you're not leaving me. I'm not leaving. Nothing can snatch you out of my hand. Nothing can separate you from my love. I'm able to keep you. I'm able to preserve you. You know what, Holy Spirit, come and seal them. Be a a deposit. Be a guarantee. Give them engagement ring. You know, whatever it takes, I'm not doing this again. Because it's only when I lose them again that we need to do this again. Now, whether they like it or not, I've saved them now. They've believed. They've received it. They're not going out. Because now I can hold on to them in my righteousness and deprive them of the opportunity to be unrighteous and therefore make me look for wrath I don't even have anymore because Jesus took it all. So no. Eternal redemption. Eternal inheritance. Qualified you. Sealed you. Gave you the Holy Ghost as a guarantee. Removed you from his wrath. You will be saved. Your bodies will be saved. You will be redeemed. Until then, you are locked here. Until then, you're here. You are stuck in my righteousness. I understand you will be struggling, it will be too big for you. Just you are in this righteousness, this is where you are staying. You are messing up, it is in my righteousness. Because the moment he allows you out of his righteousness, it will trigger the need for a brand new sacrifice. 
And this is why religion cannot understand how you can be struggling in the flesh and you are a son of righteousness. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Until your struggle ceases. Because it will. What you're struggling with, you won't struggle with it all, all, your, all your life. In fact, the more you come into this consciousness, the more you come into this awareness, the more those things drop off. Yeah. Now you understand what we, what we mean when we say God spent God to save you. Yeah. God spent God to save you. He paid the price. He is the price he paid. He's the one he paid the price to. And he is the reason he paid the price to himself. Not you. It's not you. It's not Satan. His righteousness. His righteousness drives him. His righteousness. And so the believer is called to be conscious of that righteousness. God does all he does for his name's sake. His righteousness sake. Does it for himself, for his sake. For the sake of his righteousness. But man is still looking for a way to do something. Thus lining up themselves in unrighteousness. And outside that, that realm of unrighteousness for the unbeliever, the wrath of God is there. But we have been saved from his wrath. And we will be saved from his wrath. God literally made sure of it. Because, because of his righteousness that they could deem man unrighteous. And now it's out of his justice and righteousness that he says man is unrighteous. But there's a problem because now what's happened to my children? So I'm going to have to use my righteousness and fix this problem that my righteousness has caused. And only I can do it. Because only I am able. But come on, give him praise in here. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at while the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.